If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, and begin reading in just a moment, verse 26. The title of this morning's message is, He Awakens Childlike Faith. He Awakens Childlike Faith. Last week, we began studying the different visitations of angels as you read the Christmas stories in Luke 1 and 2 and Matthew 1 and 2. There are at least four major visits of angels. Last week we looked at how Gabriel visited with Zacharias. And today we're going to see how Gabriel turns around and visits with Mary as well. He awakens childlike faith. The title, He Awakens Childlike Faith. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, and by the way, it's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. We saw last week how this elderly woman was going to be expecting a child. And it says, now in the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. She was, she was terrified and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. And every one of the angelic visits, they say that. Don't be afraid. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible." Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Pray with me. Father, would you take your truth and through your spirit, would you apply it to our heart? Cause this ancient story to become intensely and immediately real to each of us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Mary should have been afraid for a lot of reasons. I think seeing that angel was certainly fearful in and of itself. But she lived in a world, a culture where we're not quite as familiar with it living in the West. But in the Middle East and in South Asia, they have what sociologists call honor-shame cultures. And your reputation is very much a part of you. And 
she was being told that she was about to become pregnant without a husband. And so she should have been concerned about the consequences. She should have been concerned that people were going to say things about her. Not true, but people were going to say things about her. And in fact, they did. The rest of her life, there were these whispers and rumors about her integrity. She should have been concerned about that. At first, when the angel tells her what's going to happen, it's beyond her understanding. But then remarkably, she determines to go forward even though she doesn't fully understand. And what's particularly remarkable is that in verse 38, she says, let it be done to me according to the word of the Lord. She believes. She trusts. She rests in God. And that's her heart in that moment. Sign me up. I'm all in, Mary says. Now, why do we know this is important? Because right after this, she went to see her cousin Elizabeth. And in visiting with her, you remember that the first time Mary says hello to Elizabeth, that John the Baptist, the infant in Elizabeth's womb, leaps. And Elizabeth begins to speak to Mary about what is happening. No one has told her yet. But she understands. The Holy Spirit clearly is revealing it to Elizabeth. And in verse 45, Elizabeth says this, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And so we recognize that faith, her capacity to rest in what God was saying to her, was the most important thing in that moment. Blessed is she who believes. Now, immediately Mary is so overcome by this confirmation, this affirmation of what God has told her through her cousin Elizabeth, that she bursts out in a poem, in a song. Scholars will call it the Magnificat, in Latin the Magnificat, because the very first word in the, in the Latin version of the Bible is this word magnify. She's so deeply moved about who God is. She's so moved by what he is doing that she bursts out in this song. And dear one, this is always where real praise and worship begins. Is understanding who God is and what he has done. We can come and sing a song. And we can say the words and we can go through the motions. But it doesn't become real until we understand something of who God is and what he is doing. This is why she trusts him. Now, when the Savior invented Christmas, it was for those who would receive him like Mary, who would receive him like a child. In Mark chapter 10, verse 15, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. It has to be received like a child. So look again at Mary in verse 38. Then Mary said, faith of a child, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Every day when you get up, the Lord wants you to get up with the same kind of expectation, the same kind of wonder, the same kind of anticipation that a child has when they get up on Christmas morning. He says you can't even begin to receive 
my presence in your life until you receive me like a child. And Mary has a childlike faith. Now, why is it important? Why does the Lord say this? Why is it as essential that you and I learn to exercise a childlike faith, that we acquire a childlike faith, and that we exercise it? Because typically, as you and I get older, we lose the wonder and the faith as a child. We don't look at things the same way. We become jaded. We become suspicious. We, we always are looking for other motives. We, we just lose the wonder of it. God's out there, but he's not connecting with me. And yet, he is the one who still moves mountains. He's the one who still comes and answers the cry of his people. He does that when we come to him with a childlike faith. And by the way, I want to say thank you for helping me. <laughs> and when Baptist family, I hope you'll learn <laughs> how to help your pastor. <laughs> now when I'm in trouble, you can say, help him Jesus. <laughs> the rest of the time, do this other stuff. As we age, we lose faith, and this childlike wonder is lost. And what we lose in the process is the Jesus who still moves mountains. And so it's essential that we learn what it means to have a childlike faith. It is something he must awaken inside of you and inside of me. And I want you to see how he does that in this song that Mary sings. He awakens a childlike faith by revealing first his greatness. He reveals his greatness. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. My soul magnifies the Lord. We will never rise above that. He is the eternal God. He has no beginning. He has no end. One of my favorite verses of late is Jeremiah 31.3. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. It's only possible for God to love you with a love that has no beginning and no end because he has no beginning and no end. And, and he, is, he is a God who is full of power. He is a God full of glory. He is a God who is great. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Psalm 48 says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. We haven't understood the meaning of Christmas if all we see is a baby in a manger. We must see a great God. I want you to see something else here. My soul magnifies the Lord. It's not about just a Christmas spirit or having a spirit of goodwill, feeling good about ourselves and about others. But it's something that moves us deeply on the inside. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Now, when she says, my soul's magnified the Lord, how can anybody magnify or make the Lord greater than he is? Well, the truth is we can't, can we? 
But, but when she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, she has something very specific in mind. I brought, I brought something with me this morning, um, a pair of binoculars. Now, I'm not taking the, the caps off, so when I look, I'm not really looking at you. Some of y'all will be grateful. Um, but, but when I see someone sitting in the balcony all the way in the back, I see you, Kirk. I see you guys, yeah. I see someone all the way up there in the balcony. They look from here, they look small. If I take my glasses off, they look like an impressionistic work of art. But if I look up there, I see them, they look small. But if I take the binoculars, they magnify that image. And, and through the lens, they become larger to me. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And, and, and that's not something we only need to do for ourselves. That's something we also need to do for others. King David in Psalm 34, 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. This is what Mary is doing. Her heart is that others might see the greatness of God. Is this your soul today? Is it your heart to magnify him? To show his greatness to others. You can't do that unless you see his greatness. And you'll never trust him like a child unless you know he's great. He awakens a childlike faith by revealing first his greatness. Secondly, his deliverance. Look at verse 47. Listen. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Mary's rejoicing. Not in her privilege, but in him. There's nothing here about being the mother of God. There's nothing here about being the queen of heaven or some of the other titles that churches have given to her in the past. She's forgetting all about herself. She's consumed with God. And she calls him Savior. And that, that noun, Savior, comes from a, a Greek word, sozo, which means to deliver. A lot of times we use the word save, to save. And she's saying that I rejoice in God, my Savior, the one who delivers. And God has always come to deliver you. The whole story of the Old Testament that Mary knew was of a God who was always coming to deliver his people. And, and then when they were in trouble, he let that trouble pile up, pile up till they would cry out to him. Then he would deliver them. When they were in captivity, he delivered them back to himself. And so she has in her mind that, that he is doing what he has always done. And this child is the ultimate deliverance of God. And so it awakens a childlike faith in her when she sees his greatness and his deliverance. But thirdly, she sees his power. His power. Verse 48. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, for behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She's all about the power of God. And in fact, a couple verses later, verse 51, he has shown his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. The world is as it is this morning because it is not under the power of God. It is under the power of Satan. In 1 John chapter 5, the Bible tells us we know that we are of God 
and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Three times in the Gospel of John, John says he is the ruler of this world, the archon of this world, the highest designated authority on the planet. He's the prince of the power of the air, and his power will crush you. His power demolished one of the greatest saints in the Old Testament, David. He couldn't stand up against the temptation of that enemy. His power is great, and we wrestle against those principalities and those powers. Is there any hope in the world? Does it lie in political solutions or philosophical solutions? We don't believe it lies there. God scatters the proud in the imagination of their heart. We believe there is one who is mighty. He's the one who has the power. Paul says in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. In 1 Corinthians, the apostle says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He can change a human heart, and that's what's needed in our world. Earlier, Mary asked, how can he make a baby come when I'm a virgin? In verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary saw his power and rested in him like a child. When you and I recognize the power of God, we surrender to that power. When we see and we understand who he is, Christmas is about power. He awakens a childlike faith by his greatness, his deliverance, his power, and number four, by his holiness. His holiness. Verse 49 says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She sees more than his power. She sees that he is holy. This is the key to understanding Christmas. This is the key to understanding salvation and why there was a cross in the future of this baby. Why was it there? Because he is holy. God is holy. He is light, and in him is no darkness. He is a consuming fire. He hates the darkness. He is not only the eternal opposite of sin, but he eternally opposes sin. He hates sin. When God made the world, it wasn't like it is now. One of the great mistakes you and I make is looking at my life as it is now, looking at the world as it is now, and thinking this is the way God made it. It is not the way He made it. When He made it, it was entirely subject to His will. It was good, and He said that repeatedly as He looked at it. And then man and woman committed sin, and they fell, and the world and the entire ruling of the world was plunged under an enemy. It is dark. It is broken. It is corrupt. And because his name is holy, there must be a redemption of this world. It must be set free. And the enemy must be defeated, no longer ruined by sin. He hates it. He will get rid of it. 
Now notice what Gabriel says to her in verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. He's no ordinary baby. He's not born with a sin nature clinging to him the way it clings to you and me from the day we were born. In Isaiah 7, the prophet, looking 800 years ahead, said the virgin would give birth to a son, a child, and his name would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And so this is a miraculous birth. And it's one in which a holy one has come into the world. And he is the one who's going to defeat every single enemy of your soul, the greatest one being your own sin. He is here to deliver you from the penalty of that sin, dying on a cross, taking the punishment you deserve. He is dying for your sins. And not only that, but he wants to set you free from the sin that dominates your life right now he is a holy one God is defeating sin's power and sin's penalty through this holy child he awakens a childlike faith in Mary by revealing his greatness, his deliverance his power, his holiness and then number five he reveals his mercy verse 50 says and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. His mercy. If God were only powerful and holy, we would have no hope. There would be no church service this morning. There would be no praise this morning. God of mercy. Now what does mercy mean? A lot of times we talk about the mercy of God and the grace of God as if they were the same. They are not. The grace of God describes something we don't deserve that God gives to us. And He gives it to us in love. Mercy is all about His love. Mercy is His love toward those who are not merely guilty, but who are miserable because of their guilt. It's not just that we're in trouble. He sees the misery that our trouble has gotten us into. And mercy is his answer to that. He relieves misery. He feels our pain and our misery, and he acts. One of the great examples of this is found in Exodus chapter 3, Moses standing before the burning bush. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. God sees. And have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. God hears. For I know their sorrows. God knows. He sees, he hears, he knows. That's why a baby was born in Bethlehem. Because our God is a God of mercy. It's why he laid down his glory. Because he saw our misery. And he loved you so much that he gave the very best he had that he might win you 
to himself. Now we come back to the question. How is it that Mary could surrender her reputation? You know, she had dreams. How is it that she could give up her dreams of a home, settled home with a good guy, be married to somebody, have respect, raise a family? And she had a family, but she also had a very damaged reputation. How could it be that she would be willing to surrender all to all of these consequences to what the angel is doing? Because Mary's focus is on who God is and what God is doing. And if God is doing it, the God of greatness, the God of deliverance and power and holiness and mercy, if he's working it out, if it's his plan and purpose, sign me up. And when he revealed himself to her, when she saw who he was, she rested like a child in her God. Have you seen what God is doing in this thing we call Christmas? Mary saw it immediately. But have you seen it? Have you recognized who God is? Have you understood that ultimately all of this was done because he looks at you in mercy? He has compassion on you. You may have thought he's forgotten you. It had been hundreds of years before they'd ever heard a word from a prophet when Mary met this angel. It would have been easy for them to think that God had forgotten them. But Mary, she got it immediately. Said, God's at work. Do you know that no matter how difficult your life is in this moment, no matter how much trouble you're facing, how much turmoil is going on in your heart, even as you hear my words, can you for a moment take your eyes off of the problem? Put your eyes on the Savior? You'll find relief. Like a child, can you find yourself running to him, throwing yourself at his feet, realizing that this one has the answer? This one can set you free? This one is holding all the answers to all the questions you've ever had? But this is the one who loved you so much that he sent his son? Not as a great one, born in a palace, but as a little one, defenseless, starting at the very bottom. You've never been as low as that baby was. And he came for you. Think on this until your soul magnifies the Lord.